Hello, everyone. Welcome to the second episode of Upstream Podcast. We talk about what it means to go against the current and live a more generous, curious, and sometimes difficult creative life. I'm here with my good friend, Minnow. Hi, everybody. My name is David Cho, and uh, yeah, we'll, we'll get right to it. So in our first episode, we talked about our stories and where we were coming from and how we sort of came to this creative life that we were doing. But one of the things we mentioned was that we both had this experience with music where it sort of had this untimely death, that music meant a lot to us, and it was a way for us to creatively express ourselves, but we lost it somehow. And I wanted to explore that story for the both of us today. So why don't you start, David? Why don't you tell me when you started doing music? How'd you get, how'd you get into it? Yeah, I remember it's clear as day. And, you know, in this podcast, we're going to talk a lot about the intersectionalities of our, I think, our creative lives and ultimately how non-work related or non-creative kind of moments of ultimately affect who we are today, right? And so you'll hear, like, we'll talk about one thing that that has mostly to do with a creative thing. Um, but it's very much impacted by something else. And that's really true of my musical experience. And and so to answer your question, I started with music more out of curiosity. I was at a very small Korean-American train um, the suburbs of Atlanta. How most good stories start. Um, I was, I think I was in seventh grade. There was an open sign-up for the worship team. Um it was literally like a sign-up page. And I remember my buddy, Joseph Huang. Joe, if you're listening, shout out to you, boy. And, um, he, he interestingly enough, signed up to play saxophone, <laughs> saxophone? on the worship team. Yeah, really cool. <laughs> and so I saw him do that, and I was like, you know what? I might as well give this a try. And I mean, so, I guess you guys do differently in the South with the saxophone and all that, you know? <laughs> we We did it in an interesting way. And so I didn't at the time play an instrument, actually. I probably was kind of curious about guitar at the time. Um, but for the most part, I felt like I could hold a tune. So why not try singing? So yeah, I, I basically signed up to be a singer. And it was a, I guess, a rough road. <laughs> it, it takes a lot to become good at something, especially something like singing. I'm not a good singer <laughs> by any means. Uh, I can hold a tune and I know what I like. I'm more like a Simon Cowell. I'm not a, I'm not a good executor. But, but right? you have good so taste. I did not. Yeah, that's that's right. I have musical taste, <laughs> but not not good at um execute. I mean, my musical taste is questionable too. Um, anyways, so that's how I started my um, and we can you know it's funny because music took over my life as much as the church took over my life. So as soon as I jumped into worship team, my entire being started to revolve around that right so the two are extremely interconnected so like my spiritual and religious life was basically manifest in my musical output right and so and and not only that there's a huge community aspect to it so the worship team started to become basically my second family and to this day we're all not all many of us are still pretty tight right at the same time, there was a lot of looking back on it. And when I talk about it in therapy, which we can probably talk about <laughs> in a different yeah. podcast, 
you know, we I talk a lot about how terrible a lot of those moments were in retrospect, but and harmful. But at the same time, there's a lot of like you know richness and growth, and I experienced a lot of fullness. Yeah. So yeah, I've, I've basically since seventh grade up until the junior year of high school, I did worship team. So meaning I sang and tried to play guitar like basically every week. Like the ten thousand hours thing, I'm, I, I I think that's the only thing in my entire life that I did for ten thousand hours. <laughs> yeah, you know, again, it's a lot. You we practiced Friday night, sat, Saturday and Sunday when I was in high school and middle school. And then when I got to college, we didn't practice as much, but we definitely did it like every single week, Friday. Um, so yeah, the, all those hours add up, you know, and not just like me actually singing, but also like being around music, being around musical people, all of that's kind of important. So yeah, it was, I had a, I have, and I had a very deep relationship with music. I experienced a lot of like important moments in my life through right. music. And, you know, in the Christian religion, music is extremely important in, in like a lot of religions, but especially in Christianity, there seems to be a kind of a core affinity to expressing, you know, a lot of different things through the avenue of song and music. Yeah, and I feel like at church, music sort of mm -hmm. has this higher place in the culture than it really needs to be. Yeah. I remember as soon as I joined the team, yeah, there's a whole nother subculture that's also pretty interesting to talk about that is Christian contemporary music. Oh, man. Um, CCM. That's a whole other thing. And uh, it's a it's a whole, it's a billion dollar yeah. industry, multi-billion dollar. If you grew up in the church or even if you haven't, there are like, you know, huge churches putting out big albums and releases every You kind of grow up with this mixed view of worship as a means to stardom yeah. and a means of religious Very practice. Well said. So the kind of the intertwining of those two really kind of paradoxical mm -hmm. motivations mm -hmm. causes, I think, for a lot of people, including myself, some kind of warped version of why they do the thing yes. that they do. But yeah, that was that was a part of kind of my identity is like that loving being on stage. I love talking right. to people. I love being the center of attention. So it probably wasn't good for my <laughs> ego by any so means. So you did this you know? from seventh um, grade till? Mm -hmm. My junior year of college. Got it. Yeah. So, I mean, we can fast forward through all the all the years or or we can unpack it. I don't know. Maybe I'll just tell you the end, how it ended and we can go backwards Perfect. from there. But basically, <clears throat> when I was in college, the intensity of the musical, my musical life was only exponentially, I don't know, made even more severe because the identity is so wrapped up in the music, yeah. right? And so for, for me, being a kind of a young kid, first college year, freshman, going into college i really sought kind of community and recognition to some right. degree and you know the easiest way was to join yet another worship team 
the funny thing was at at the church I went to in college, you were not allowed to join the worship team your freshman year. But, you know, I kind of like really forced myself <laughs> in. So I, I got in like the second semester of my freshman year, if I if memory serves me correctly. But it was from there that I really like, you know, had to really serve hard <laughs> it's that's, that's the only yeah. way to put it like you had to put in the hours you know you weren't even really allowed to sing or quote lead worship for a mm. while like it took a while to get that status oh, or get that kind of like you know the right. okay it, it was kind of like a like a studio or like some kind of re- re- you know like a yeah. album or, you know something <laughs> yeah. like that you know like a record label and so, you know, for me, like, it felt a lot of, like, I had to earn right. my place. I had to prove myself. Well, there was a lot of, like, that kind of stuff, especially with the culture of the community mm. I was a part of. And so, you know, you put in the hours, like, apart. There's, like, a kind of an initiation phase with this music and worship team where you wake up at, like, 5 oh, a.m. You, um, you have to go to, at the time, we had to go to the senior pastor's house <laughs> unload all of the equipment from his garage and then drive it from Emory to Georgia Tech campus, which is like, you know, like a I don't know, 20 minute drive. But, and then once you get to Georgia Tech, we had service in like a, basically a lecture hall. And we unloaded all of that stuff into the lecture hall, but it wasn't close. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you had to carry stuff right. from the van into the lecture hall. It was just like a whole process. You have to set everything up very carefully, very intentionally, treating the the music equipment as if it was like the communion table, right. you know, like just like just, you know, like a lot of stuff like that. And you had to do that for a while before you were, quote, allowed to, you know, use your talents mm-hmm. or whatever. And so, you know, it was kind of like two and a half super intense years of that. I would, you know, be, quote, allowed to lead worship once in a while, you know, it would be quote put on rotation oh, man. um all these in, levels but in the <laughs> but in the middle of it you know a couple things happen like um like they were definitely like the elite and then the like second <laughs> second string <laughs> you know varsity junior right. varsity it was extremely right. apparent and so i was always jv jv for life <laughs> It was funny to just kind of be in that situation all the time. And, you know, like, it's it's funny. Because everyone was so, so entangled in it. Like, it was our lives. It's so crazy to think back. It's just how much, like, you know, there was no questioning the fact that this right. is normal. Yeah. Like, of course we <laughs> yeah. do this. Of course we just give our entire identities to this kind of small group and this small yeah. organization. Right. But... At, at the same time, it's not. It wasn't all bad. I definitely enjoyed it. You know, like we got to touch some pretty amazing equipment and do some interesting things. But you know, like, but overall, it was thinking retrospectively, it was kind of like yikes. Yeah. You know, pretty, pretty, pretty rough. So you know, we fast forward a little bit, one year or a year and a half. M- myself and a few other guys. It was a four of us. One guy was a drummer. One guy was like electric guitarist. The other guy was also electric guitarist. I was like the only vocalist. All four of us got quote put on probation. Wow. And um, which basically meant we still came 
at 5 a.m., loaded the van, <laughs> unloaded the equipment, and we would just sit there and watch while everyone <laughs> oh else practiced and played their instruments yeah. or whatever. I don't. I still to this day don't really know why that right. happened to us. But the four of us were a little bit like on the outlier side, like a little black sheep, you know. Um, and I think it was kind of a lesson like you four are, are like troublemakers. Get mm. in line. It kind mm. of felt like that, you know. So you know, six months later, we get off probation or whatever, and you know we're back serving, you know, twiddle d twiddle. Um, <laughs> and then basically, I, I think. If my memory serves me right, the beginning or the middle of my junior year, the senior pastor and the associate pastor at the time pulled me aside for um, service one day, sit me down like in front of the auditorium where congregants go in. And this is after service, so kind of people like trickling in, trickling out, mostly empty. And the senior pastor says to me, like, David, I would really like for you to consider stepping wow. down. Like, I really, I really want you to step down. And I was like, oh, okay, I mean, why? And he was like, I just feel like, verbatim, I just feel like your style of music is too flamboyant for my vision of the worship oh ministry. Oh, my goodness. And I asked, I think I asked, like, what What do we really mean by that? And he was like, you're a little too, like, in sync <laughs> for me, or something like that, or Backstreet Boys. I don't remember which boy <laughs> band he said, but apparently something about, like, the way I sing or the way I express myself is just, it didn't jive mm. with him. And so that was the tragic end of my music life. Um, wow. So yeah, it's not just, it, it's weird because music for me kind of became my spiritual practice, right. you know, like they were kind of one in the same. And so what actually happened after that day was like a crushing kind of i don't know not a jolting reaction to so what does this yeah. make me in terms of my spirituality as well and that was kind of like the first i would say the first gate opening to kind of the undoing a lot of a lot of like my religious upbringing right. and all that type of stuff and so, you sort of lost yourself too yeah that's right in a big way so after that did you did you do anything on the team? Were you a part of the team? What did you do at the church? No, I stopped. I mean, I stopped. I, that, that was effectively the last day I was on, on worship team. And it, it was called band back then. <laughs> uh, my last yeah. day of band. How did the other band members react once they heard the news? See, this is like where we cross into more of like evangelical meets Korean <laughs> yeah meets southern christianity and the other people were kind of like surprised but they 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 weren't like incensed you know there was no like rage around it It was kind of and i wasn't either it was kind of more just like okay i guess this is the way it is (laughs) you know and so there's kind of like a just a general acceptance of these kind of leader people in leadership make our decisions based on kind of their views of us. I mean, so we're kind of entering. I think we're entering the topics that we could always talk about later, but I'm curious on how it affected you creatively outside of all the religion, outside of all the social hierarchy and power dynamics. Like how did this event affect your creativity and your development 
of being creative? That's a really interesting question because while I was singing and in worship team was also the exact same time that YouTube came <laughs> <Yeah>. out. The internet. <laughs> right. So, you know, think back, especially you Asian American people <laughs> will know, like Jennifer Chung, who's a great friend of our mine now, you know, she was like really big back then, gay bondock. And there passion. was a ton of them in the West Coast, right? A ton in California. Yeah, all those guys were kind of who I looked up to and we all emulated because they were also had a little bit of Christian bent. We all emulated each other yeah. and And I mean know, that's was, probably what you were influenced by. And right. that's what you were doing. Right, and realizing, wow, these guys are, like, putting runs into right. their songs. They're, like, hitting very high notes. They're just, like, embellishing on yeah. music, which is kind of, like, what I was used right. to. And know? I can't imagine that this was such a honest way for you to talk to people or express your and, and connect with people in such a deep way. Yeah, I mean, when I was in high school, I used to put out these videos called, quote, encouragement videos. <laughs> I've deleted them Aww. all since, but it would just be me singing into a mic, a Christian Aww, song, Dave. and being like, I hope you guys are encouraged. <laughs> See ya. <laughs> so, you know, it really was like a part of a part Definitely, of me. Definitely, man. It must have been such a big part of you. So where's music now for you? Do you, do you still sing? Do you still want to sing do you find yourself singing to yourself and all that like i'm curious what's it like for you now yeah i mean i that's i i've always i keep singing mostly just in private or you know sometimes in front of my wife angela sometimes with jennifer chung you know she's listening but you know when i hear her sing, i want to sing too it's just like you know it's weird stuff like that when i go to um, nrb or notabang karaoke (laughs) Uh, I'll sing, but very like, I'm very yeah, shy about I, I it. I can imagine that you never really got back to that place of really expressing yourself like you did in college. Not to that degree. I mean, like when I came back from LA, um, this was like in 2014, uh-huh. 2015, I tried to join yeah. band again or worship team at the same church I went to in college. And I went for a couple of weeks and it just, something about it, I just... It wasn't right, yeah. you know, which makes total sense. But So where do you think you are now creatively? Where do you feel like you're really trying or wanting to express yourself? Yeah, I think now that I think about it, it's so crazy we're doing a podcast because my creative expression was always around the written mm. word expressed mm. vocally. Right. And so when you're and for those of those of you listeners who didn't grow up in the church or have no idea what the church is like, when you lead worship, what that really means, it's it's you with a few other people, maybe just you yourself, um, especially in more contemporary settings. It's not necessarily like a choir or something. I mean, in some places it is. But for the contemporary Christian music world, it's often like a band, like a real band drummer, electric guitarist, bassist, piano, um, and a few vocals. And maybe like the lead worshiper is also playing acoustic guitar. And so, but you're not all just playing music as a band. Uh, the lead worshiper, you know, whoever else with a mic will also be talking. You have to articulate a lot of stuff. Like 
things that you experience that apply to that moment that might encourage or motivate or, you know, bring a certain emotion into the room, right? And so that is a like a real part of learning how to express yourself. And that was kind of like my life for from seventh to my junior year of high school is like me talking into a mic, people responding negatively or positively to my thoughts yeah. and my experience of, you know, God or yeah. whatever. Yeah. And so for me, it's not just the singing part. It's also the being up there and influencing people through my voice and my yeah. words. Yeah. And I would say more than the singing, that that being taken away from me was probably the most like it, it was the most crippling thing because even like when Minnow and I were talking about like my frustrations as it result as it regarded my creative expression, I never even thought about doing a podcast. Yeah. Because it was maybe it's just like that whole idea around using my voice to express myself was gone. You know? Man. And I'm kind of like I'm putting these things together right now. I am not I have not put these dots together before. And so and, and it's interesting. Yeah, and I think there's something even about what you do and the work that you do and and I know a few days ago you led a workshop and yeah. brand strategy and talking it 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 all sort of you're an external processor right you, your mm-hmm. work is about conversation and talking with people and and talking yeah. things out and you enjoy talking to people and working it out with voice it's not really like there's a lot of people who sort of sit and think it through in their head mm-hmm. right? and so it mm-hmm. it was never killed it was just truncated in this way, right? And you sort of have to like rebuild it again. And yeah, it's true. I mean, and and it's funny you say these things because now that we talk it through, I remember when I was in high school, my favorite class in the world was AP Lang. I don't know if anyone else out there took AP Lang. Lang stand Um, for language? Yeah, AP Lang. My teacher, Miss Upton, Mrs. Upton was like, still to this day one of the most influential people in my life shout out to mrs upton if you're listening to this shout out to mrs upton i'm gonna send this to you um but she led a class that basically made people think Hmm. write, Hmm. and she made us write a weekly journal she read it and she reacted you know all this stuff Hmm. was amazing Hmm. but anyways one of the things that she wanted us to do was public speaking so we picked a topic and we spoke on it and i remember practicing a little bit but mostly just going up to the front of class and just talking and it was it was pretty impassioned i think i took a little bit from my like church upbringing but i remember at the end of the class miss upton pulls me aside and she's like are you going to be a speak are you going to be a pastor and i was just like i don't know <laughs> you know but i i obviously i'm not a pastor right <laughs> <laughs> i'm far from it i but i think what she was saying was like you have eloquence in a way of speaking and like you to hear that do. as i mean to hear that as a high schooler yeah. was very formative yes. for me yes you know so another just pointer as to why this is like so relevant thanks man thank you for sharing that yeah that was long-winded what is your story Mino? as it relates to music yeah and it's it's untimely death yeah 
I appreciate the way that you sort of brought everything, the context of what you said, because my context is very, very similar. Mm. And I've, I've come to understand in a much more deeper and richer and I'd say humble way of what music, the function of music in a church, in mm-hmm. a service, in a way to help people and bring them up and without making it an essentially an idol, right? It, it, what do you mean for by <clears throat> idol for the people that don't know that terminology? Thank you, yeah. I What I mean by it is sort of like what you were saying about like this is music had this sort of undue importance in mm-hmm. church, its mm-hmm. role, who was on the band, who was the music right. person. Those varsity yeah. guys were not just the most popular, but they were probably the most, the most Christians, right? They were the yeah. most everything, right? They were the influencers right. of, of the <laughs> church, you know, That's a good- and it has to do with where I am and, and my current church and the context of it. And I, and I think there's a, I have a healthier view and of what church meant, but I also started around seventh grade and (laughs) in seventh grade, I wanted to be the guy that people noticed and accepted. And there was a guy Mm -hmm. up on stage or up in the front mm-hmm. that had a guitar and everybody was facing him and he was facing them. <laughs> mm. And I'm like, I want to be that guy. That guy looks cool. Yeah. And yeah, the, the, the guy with the guitar and the mic that was leading the worship was the mm-hmm. popular guy. He was the influencer of that church. That's right. And so I picked that. And so I wanted to play guitar and I actually had a, my seventh grade Bible study teacher was sort of, I guess he was around, his twenties. He was like sort of like in his twenties, I guess. Yeah. And what's a Bible study teacher? <laughs> Bible study teacher. It's Sunday school. So there's uh for when you were young and you go to church, you're in youth group and, and there's teachers, usually uh yeah, guys in his twenties, maybe in college or a little bit older, and they're sort of the and they sort of teach the teach the children, you know. <laughs> and uh, this he was actually the older brother of the, the leader of the band that was playing mm-hmm. and his older brother was my teacher wow. and he was driving me home one day and he, he played me Dave Matthews band live at Red Rocks oh, no. album <laughs> and he played this one song called number 36 and oh, Carter yeah. Beaufort on the drums doing a solo wow. and it was just a jam it was a long jam with Dave Matthews playing, Tim Reynolds playing the electric guitar. And I was like, what is this music? I was completely floored. And I was like, this is amazing. And more than that, he took me to a Dave Matthews concert. Giant Stadium is about 30, 40 minutes away from New York. And me, him, and his younger brother, who was the band leader, and my mom allowed me to go... (laughs) (laughs) to a Dave Matthews concert and I saw Dave Matthews play and I was like that's the guy that's that is the guy and I bought back then you would have to go into a guitar center or a Sam Ash and buy booklets of tablature Mm -hmm. he had about four albums out and I just sat there when I was seventh eighth grade I should have been out in the 
playground playing basketball or something, getting into basketball, but I sat in my room with this black Takamine guitar and I learned nice every Dave Matthews song. Literally wow. I sat there, my my fingers bleeding and I learned every Dave Matthews song and after about a year or two, I, I would play the entire Red Rocks album along with the band, pretending like I was Dave <laughs> Matthews. I would have dreams of Dave Matthews inviting me up on stage and playing the songs with him, you know, like I was. And I, I played like him. I I moved like him. I almost I, I tried singing like him. Everything I did. Dave Matthews Dave Matthews was my teacher. He he was my That's guitar crazy. teacher. And that was around the time when John Mayer first released Room for Squares. And mm-hmm. it's that room for squares where it was just him and a guitar, mm-hmm. and that was insane, insane. Mm-hmm. And junior year, I started writing my own songs, and the first song I wrote was, of course, a praise song. You know, mm-hmm. um, a Christian, a song. Christian song, a Christian praise song. Yeah, and well, let me backtrack a little. Even even be well, I, I was writing songs, but I I desperately wanted to have attention and be in front of people and and i sort of rose through the ranks of the praise team you know the praise team ranks and i sort of i led praise i did all this and i was the guy that was flashy and because i i was i can play guitar i can sing i can do all this kind of stuff remember Mm -hmm. my first concert that i did i met this guy around seventh around 11th grade his name was Koo, and he was one of the few korean american guys that was playing music and he sort of saw me and took me under his wing and he was playing at, he was playing a gig and then he invited me to play like an opening song. And I played one song. It wasn't even my song. It was a cover I did. And I remember being so nervous and I remember feeling so nervous because I (laughs) wanted to do good, but this was my, this was my chance, right? This was like my American Idol moment. Like I was going to play in front of people outside of my church and people would hear, you know, and, and, And then I played and then all these people came up to me and were like, hey, man, you're amazing. You're awesome. You're this and that. And I literally did not know what to do with the adoration and Mm -hmm. the compliments that I so desperately wanted. Once I heard Mm -hmm. it, I didn't know what to do with it. Wow. I was just like, yeah. And like, I tried false modesty. I tried denying it. I tried laughing it off and all this stuff, you know. Yeah. I keep mm-hmm. thinking of that expression like, you know, the dog chasing the car. And once mm-hmm. it catches the car, it doesn't know what to do with it. It's just it's just an instinct, right? It just wants the car. Mm-hmm. And then once you get it, you're like, okay, I guess I can't eat it. Like, that was, okay. Can can the car go off again so I can just chase it? I didn't know what to do once I actually caught the car, once I actually did it. Yeah. And I wrote songs. I, yeah, I, I, I did it. I played with Koo. I played shows with him. I was sort of a second guitarist. I opened for him a couple times. I recorded an album my junior year <laughs> of of college. Wow. I made an album. We did a tour. And that was sort of the culmination. My junior year, of, junior year we did a, I recorded an album. And my junior to senior summer, I did a 16 city tour and I was living the dream. I came home with 900 bucks in my pocket and I was like, I am, <laughs> I am rich. <laughs> I am a mate. This is amazing. I can definitely do this. And we were a lot, we were able to do it because there was an investor that believed in Koo and what he was doing. And they created a, a record label called broken for good record label. It was me, 
Ku and this other artist named Nea. But um, wow. it was sort of three the three of us, me, Nea, and Ku were the ones on that tour in that summer. Yeah. They're the ones that sort of fronted the money to get the CDs made. I got a thousand CDs made. Uh-huh. Yeah. Back then it was CDs and you would sell CDs, you know? Yeah. I would do aut- That's a lot of CDs. It's a lot of CDs. Back in the day. It's not like today making a CD. Yeah. Yeah. It was a lot, man. And and the sales from the CD like covered the cost of everything. Like I recouped it yeah. that way, you know, and I signed CDs and all this stuff. And I was just sort of doing this whole thing. We do the tour. We come back. We are over the investor's house and we sit down and he says to us, okay, the tour was a musical success, but it was a financial failure. And then he goes on to lay out, if you want to make $30,000 a year doing music, yeah, you have to do X amount of shows. This many people have to come. You have to yep. pay this and this and that. And the mm-hmm. numbers were like, I mean, you could, I mean, we can just do the math, right? It's like a hundred shows or two, a hundred shows a, a year with a hundred people coming at least a hundred people paying $10, whatever that looks. And I was like, I can't do that. You know? And again, it was Dave Matthews. John Mayer was blowing up. Yep. And the whole time at my, you know, growing up, all, all my parents said to me was music is great, but you know, just keep it between you and God and keep it in church. Don't become a musician. That's just, you can't do that. You find a real job. Mm-hmm. Don't do that. You just, yeah. you know, do the music, just do music at church, worship God with it. That's all. And, right. And when I heard those numbers and I heard him tell me that I was like, my parents are right. What am I doing? I'm like, <laughs> you know, like I need to, I need to get things together. I'm going to become an adult. I need to not think about this stuff. Like I, I just can't music. I'm, I'm not talented enough. Who, who am I? You know? Yeah. And I was 20 years old then, maybe 19, 20 years old. Mm-hmm. And I never wrote a song since that day. Mm-hmm. And I never got, wow. and I never got better at guitar. I, I've, I've, wow. I've stayed in stasis and it mm-hmm. sort of just stopped. And it wasn't until I went through this book called The Artist's Way in the beginning of yeah. last year. Love that book. Where... And the artist way for the, for the, for those of you listening who don't know is a 12 week course that sort of helps you. It's a book that you're supposed to go through in, tw- in 12 weeks that sort of helps, gives you questions and prompts and exercises to sort of rekindle the creative child and sort of the creative identity that you have within you. And mm-hmm. I wanted to do it last year to become a better photographer and I wanted to write more. So on the talk, I wanted to figure out about photography and writing. But music mm-hmm. just kept coming up. There's questions like, you know, when you were younger, what did you love to do? You know, mm-hmm. what, what was it that you, you know? And, and I was like, what is this whole music thing? Like, I know what my music thing is. Like, I don't need to, mm-hmm. like, I, I figured that part out. Like, I, that was a, you know, young kid kind of thing. Just kept coming yeah. up again and again and again. And I started getting angry. And then mm-hmm. I realized the only way that I was able to explain it was music was this relationship of this person, a friend, at times a lover that I had, that I love so much. Right. And because of one conversation, I just ignored it for 15 years. And music mm-hmm. sat next to me, went along with me everywhere, but I never talked to it. I neglected it <laughs> so long. 
for for so long and completely and it felt like music was this sort of person in front of me that i just never paid attention to but it was always there and there was this feeling of betrayal and this feeling of really letting really denying such an important part of myself because of sure being practical and the investor I know for a fact his intention was not to do that to me. Yeah. Kuin, Ku's, he's older than me. He's like maybe six years or so older than me. And Naya was in, yeah. in their mid-20s. And if you're in your mid-20s, yeah, you're supposed to hear that because you're adulting. That's when you start <laughs> adulting. You're not in college anymore. I, on the other hand, didn't need to hear that. I had to hear, just keep writing, dude. Don't worry about mm-hmm. that stuff right now. Just keep doing what you're doing, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. But I effectively heard through my own lens without the without his intention similar to what your pastor said to you right right i don't i think you should step down from music right i think you should just not do this anymore and i yeah i took it hook line and sinker man that was my reality and i took it and it wasn't until last year when i realized what i had given up and how much i had neglected music and i remember an argument with my wife and then just sobbing like as if I lost wow. somebody, I, I like broke down. Why was it an argument? It was just if an, you can share. Um, I actually don't even remember the argument, but wow, I think. But I, it had to do with music to some degree. It, I think, it had to do with just my own. I think I was just stressed. I think, I think she saw the stress that was coming on me, and there was just it was just uh-huh. a tense time, right? And I probably lashed out onto her or something happened because i was so tense Uh uh-huh and then what i revealed was i'm feeling this way because of this music thing and i've been telling felt a loss because i felt the loss yeah but it's like when you're going through a hard time and you're stressed you take it out on the person closest to you right and that's right and she knew that this was i was thinking about this but this Hmm. was the culmination of it because i was like Sure. I really am sad. It's not you. It's this thing. And I remember yeah. crying for it. Like I've, I've only had one or two of that, like goodwill hunting crying moments, right? Like <laughs> <laughs> when Matt Damon holds Robin Williams yeah. and, you know, and he's just yeah. crying. It sounds like he's laughing, crying. You know, I've, mm-hmm. I've had a couple of hysteria. I've, hist- yeah. I've, I've only had a few of those sort of breakdown moments and that was one of them. Mm. But uh, yeah, music and, 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 the post I wrote, I, I called it the day the music died. And mm. it was that day back then. And it was, it's sort of an acknowledging of it. It's very similar to you in the sense, like I look back and I don't regret the time that I had and I had such great times and it's sort of acknowledging yeah. it. And I still do music now. I, I It's a big part of my life in terms of with wow. church, but how so in, in church, I, I lead the, I, I still lead the band. I lead the whole ministry. And I, oh, I wow. lead, I lead worship, and I do all that. Um, so you do this like weekly. So it, there's actually me and three other people that song lead. So okay. once I became ministry, once I became the leader of the ministry, and and ministry is is essentially the team there for those who who don't mm-hmm. go to church. I democratized it. I realized I completely democratized. I I took out the hierarchy. On paper, nice. I might be the leader, but there are sort of three other people that I completely depend on to help me lead and and i talk to and so the four of us sort of take turns doing it but i i love i love that i love where music is in that way i love that it's it's a part of this way that i can use in 
in a part of my life that really means a lot to me. And so, right. yeah. And the other interesting part, and I'll end on this, is that my wife wants to be a singer-songwriter. And What? Yeah. she's She's been wanting to since she was four, and she has her whole story of why she never pursued it. But this past year, she's like, I really want to do music, and she can't stop writing music. And she's just... That's crazy. Yeah. At I am Becky Park on uh, on Instagram, but she is she's doing Whoa. music, and I'm teaching her guitar. She wants to learn guitar, so I've been teaching her guitar the past That's couple of years. But she, yeah, she's sort of doing the music stuff, and yeah, I'm not jealous That's about it. I'm not like you know, there's no like regret. It's just it's beautiful to watch. You know, yeah. there's a lot of redemption that's happening in that way for me with music. But that's beautiful. I mean, it's so interesting. Like when you were talking about how you felt like music has been sitting next to you for 15 years and you didn't talk to it and then yeah kind of this the the full circle is your literal i mean life partner best is is like singing to you you know there's something there's something cool there yeah i never thought of it that way you're right same that's so interesting maybe for you it seems like you've done a lot of the undoing this is my first time talking to this degree about wow. music yeah. in my life. Yeah. So I feel like for the listeners and for myself, we'll, there'll be maybe some continuity into like how we collectively undo this kind of, you know, um, piece. What, of do, what are you feeling? What, what do you, what do you feel like you're, you're taking away from it? Hearing my story and sort of re- revisiting yours. I think it's interesting that what I heard from your story was you took a, you took a lateral approach to just your general creative endeavors, which is for me is this podcast. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And through that lateral creative endeavor, you had to basically face this roadblock that was very close to your kind of creative source. That's interesting. You say that because even with photography, when I started it, people were like, huh, aren't you the music Mm. guy? Like, Wow. Right? Like people that knew me knew me because I played music. And then I yeah. put up a Facebook post about me doing photography. And people were like, huh? I, <laughs> but it was similar to you. They're like, I get this lateral. I guess it's this thing. You know, he's a creative guy. And I and I, I love photography. And I also told my, my self-talk was, look, you're doing photography. You're doing something creative. Right? Yeah. Well, who cares if it's music or not? No, it matters right. that it wasn't music. <laughs> I just never admitted it to myself. The stories that we tell ourselves. That's so, I mean, yeah, this, I feel like this kind of, this episode of the podcast, yeah, it was, the subject was music, but the kind of the, the layers beneath it is this idea of honesty, you know? With and yourself. Kind of like a, with, with yourself. And I don't, I don't, I, at the same time, I'm kind of doing this live here and I don't really know what that means for me per se, but I think that's something really interesting to think about and talk, talk through. I think we, I think you and I both sort of never stopped fighting. You know, Mm -hmm. we did it in different ways and Mm -hmm. may have been compromised, but we tried to do it in different ways. And I think, yeah. Yeah. I I think a takeaway I have listening, somebody might tell you to stop doing something because you don't align with their kind of vision of what it is you're doing. And for those of you that have stopped, I'm sure there's a lot of grief there. But for those of you that have kept going or found other avenues, I think it's important to just 
realize that it's valid. What Whatever else you're doing is valid. And it's probably extremely important and good for you. And, you know, for me, I obviously stopped music. I still love music. I love listening to music. I love seeing people perform. But I've kind of, you know, I've I've tried to lean into photography, not professionally, just, you know, I've tried to lean into writing. I've tried to lean into a career, an industry centered around creativity. Mm. And at the end of the day, it's, when you, I think for me, what what's unraveling, at, at least right now in this moment, is something around what you know to be true will never stop being true of yourself. Hmm. You know, and I think even for me, as I express to you and to Minnow and to to the listeners, what what I'm thinking and my experiences, this is probably the most truest expression of who I am. Right. And I think there's something even just I don't know what the right word is. Minnow used the word redemptive. I'm gonna use the word circular or, you know, you know, something like that. Redemptive is a great word, but something redemptive about going coming full circle. There's something redemptive about the fact that your loss isn't just a loss. You know, there's something there's something um beyond it just being a loss and a, and a source of grief. And so I think that's important to point out. That's that's very, very well said. And I think the last thing I would add is for both you and for me, our passion, even, in, even bef- before its untimely death, was built in community and it was built mm-hmm. with people and, and in, mm-hmm. in friendship and with yeah. people. And I think we aren't meant to do it alone. That's right. And I, and I'm glad, I'm glad this podcast is with two people, right? And and we're not just, (laughs) I'm not just talking to thin air about my story, but we're talking about it together. And I think we are meant to be creative alone. I think creativity isn't meant to be, there's for me, art has very much a lot to do with connection Mm -hmm. and connection doesn't happen by yourself. And so, if you are struggling and if there has to be some similar story of what we're going through of what we went through with people listening. And I would say it could be us. It can be these, it can be this podcast that sort of makes you feel like you're not alone or there's a group of friends that sort of feel that way too. But creativity and, and this kind of hard thinking and producing and challenge happens in a group. And I think that's, that's That's right. That's the best way it happens. Yeah, that's a. I think that's a great way to end this week's episode of Upstream Podcast. All right, brother. All right. Thank you, listeners, for tuning in, and we'll be back with episode three. Who knows what stories we'll tell. <laughs> so that is our story from start to present, along with all the ups and downs. We'd love to hear your story and if you had any similar or different experiences from us. You can contact us at upstreampodcast.com and you can find show notes to everything mentioned during the episode there as well. Again, thank you for listening and hope you're safe and well.